0: This is a financial promotion. If you decide to invest, please remember that investment involves risk. Investments can go up and down in value, so you can get back less than what you put in. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance and may not be repeated. The information within this podcast has not been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research and is not subject to any prohibition on dealing ahead of the dissemination of investment research. This recording is for informational purposes only. Any opinion expressed is that of the individual speaker at the time of recording and should not be taken as investment advice in any way.
1: Hello everybody. Today I'm with uh, one of my analysts, Sam Corbett, and we're going to discuss an important area of our investment process, which is the ongoing monitoring of our companies both in the portfolio but also on our bench uh list companies that haven't quite made made it into the portfolio but we're actively watching uh to see if uh, one day they may be worth including so sam just for our listeners could you just sort of give a bit of background as to what we do and why it's important to keep track of things yeah,
0: of course. I mean, in my mind, there's sort of two reasons why we do regular monitoring of the businesses we own, uh, and that's via via listening to sort of earnings calls uh, with management teams. The first is is that this gives us an insight into the way the management of the business are thinking and uh, how they're performing or their assessment of how they're performing against their strategic objectives so the second uh, reason that we listen to the these earnings calls is that we also gain an insight into how other market participants are thinking about the company in question and this can be particularly useful when we're taking a contrarian stance because it allows us to sort of understand what the other market participants are hoping the company uh, is going to achieve before they will reward it with a re-rating Uh, and an uplift to the share price so it can give us the conviction we need to stay invested or remain invested when other people are you know sort of saying negative things about the business or don't like the direction the the company is headed in if we have an opinion that sort of bucks that trend understanding what others are looking for is really useful in sort of standing the test of time
1: so a great example of that would have been so i guess our voyage with disney yeah exactly Uh, Going back uh, pre-pandemic, the company has sort of taken over 21st Century Fox, uh, had settled the company with quite a significant amount of debt, I think it would be fair to say. Uh, But it was also under a certain element of disruption through Netflix and streaming. Right. And that was impacting one of its cash cows, the the cable network TV division. Uh, People were cutting the cord, preferring to go over the top uh, and stream direct. Um, And that forced a pivot out of Disney. And for the best part of two years Iger was talking about their pivot Uh, but it took really until they launched Disney Plus for the market to take any notice but we were well prepared for that right?
0: Yeah so we we've been listening to these earnings calls hearing what uh, Bob Iger and the team have been saying about their plans to launch Disney Plus their direct-to-consumer service we thought that would be a great way of increasing engagement with your consumer Uh, and obviously you get you know when you're Doing the direct-to-consumer service, you get far greater data on what it is your underlying customer is using, what it is they're sort of uh, watching on a, on a regular basis, how regularly. Um, you just get a lot more data that you can, yeah, is, is useful for us. Well, Disney is a company, but it's also yeah, interesting to us as investors as well. So,
1: Yeah, and sort of sticking with Disney, I mean, when they launched DTC, they gave quite a clear roadmap. Uh, to investors as to what they expect in terms of profits, um, the investments that they're going to have to make, both in the technology but also into uh, the continuous content spend in order to be able to compete for people's attention and therefore maintain subscription levels and and obviously grow those subscription levels.
0: Yeah, they're spending about $30 billion a year at the moment. Yeah, it's uh, it's just an
1: incredible amount of money. Um, And the market at the time kind of like, shrugged his shoulders, didn't really, didn't really care. They were more after the subscription growth, um, but now all of a sudden it matters. And as far as we're concerned, you know, Disney have said to us, "This is what is going to happen. This is what we intend to happen." And so far, that is what is happening. Yet the market has gone. Uh, you know what? That now doesn't matter. It's a new paradigm. We've got our cost of capital. We've got, you know, we want cash today, not right. tomorrow. So uh, we're going to de your shares and they've fallen from literally almost touching $200 now to, uh, at the time of recording, low 80s, right? So monitoring Disney right now is as important as ever, but there's nothing really at the moment that unnerves us from what the company's saying.
0: No, I, I think the sort of ultimate direction of travel was relatively clear to us from the outset of our investment obviously the market sort of changed what it's prioritizing in the in the heydays of you know a couple of years ago it was all about the, the sort of revenue growth and the subscriber numbers sort of surpassed all expectations uh they they amassed subscribers far quicker than even management were anticipating uh and now obviously you know that money's less easy to come by you've seen this sort of focus back towards profitability and then i think it was last yeah it was last year uh, Q3 last year, they announced sort of record losses in their streaming business. So you saw what $1.5 billion loss over the quarter. And they said that this was going to be the peak. And since then, it's gradually come down. So you've had losses last quarter, I think, with $500 million. So they are getting towards that. It was a 2024 target that they're going to be profitable. Their direct-to-consumer service will be profitable by the end of 2024. So I think there's a sort of clear pathway to that. But uh yeah, the the market is really unhappy at the moment. Obviously, that's coinciding with a period of decline for their linear TV business, which was uh, conventionally the most profitable portion of Disney's you know, operations. And yeah, that's declining at a sort of quicker rate than previously expected. And the market is yeah really. Unhappy. It's declining
1: at such a rate that I can now wants to get rid of it.
0: Well, yeah, so there's, there's there's they're certainly mulling over whether there's uh, channels that would be of interest to other parties um yeah we were always aware that the ultimate direction of travel would be to a direct to consumer service and you have seen revenues sort of shift from linear to DTC and I think it's only natural that the profitability of the linear tv business would decline in tandem with you know diseconomies of scale so as that business gets smaller the operating profits that you're going to get as a result of that should decrease as well and, and that's what we're seeing, yeah. Operating margins for its linear TV business have fallen from the 35 you know, the, the, the mid-30% they were at, at its peak.
1: And it's quite interesting how Disney's business model has changed so much in such a short order of time. I mean, it is effectively disrupting itself with its DTC strategy and yeah. it's uh, at the expense of its linear TV business. So uh, the media segment, media entertainment, That has declined in its, uh, I guess, its proportion of overall revenue and operating income. And Parks and Resorts has come right up to the fore. It is the most profitable area of Disney. It's the one that really drives operating income at the moment. And it's also, to be fair, to Disney where they're focusing most of their investments right now. I mean, I came out saying over the next 10 years they intend to invest over $60 billion. I mean, that's double the amount that they've invested in that area over the last 10 years. So interesting times a lot of money that's going to be spent on a company that's got quite a bit of debt so what's the roadmap out do you think at the moment yeah
0: there's there's obviously a a lot of moving parts with disney which is what makes it particularly tough to analyze the way we sort of cope with this is we've sort of stripped it back to basics and we said okay we've got part of disney's business that's in a pretty steady growth phase Uh, that's the the parks and and resorts side of the business let's put a value on that so we do a sum of the parts we say okay this part of the business we we think we can value using a discounted cash flow approach the rest of the business it's i guess it's in limbo at the moment it, as to what exactly that is going to look like going forward which makes makes it tough to value so if we part that to one side what is the value that we get for the remaining part of the business that we can value easily and we actually think uh, having done this you know very recently we think today's share price yeah it is basically discounting any value for the the media and entertainment division and obviously whilst we don't know what the ultimate profitability of the the new business model is going to look like i think it's i think we're all pretty confident that there is some value in the content that disney is able to create those media assets so as long as you believe that those media assets have some worth, the current share price just seems un- unjustified for, you know, a long term holder, which presents an interesting opportunity for us as sort of long term investors.
1: I think this is a classic case of you know, how we like to operate is that where we see uncertainty, we see potential opportunity. Now, we've been long term holders of Disney. We've done the round trip. Uh, in various sizes throughout the um, throughout our sort of journey with with Disney and the portfolio, we're now sort of looking at Disney, thinking, okay, it's got some hairs. Okay, there's a bit of work that Iger needs to sort out. He's recognised that. He's been talking about the problems that he's he's facing and the solutions he needs to find. He's extended his contract with Disney for another two years because it's going to take a little bit more time than he first thought, but. The vast majority of Disney's current share price is underpinned by its best-performing sector, right? And the rest of the business—the box office, the merchandise sales, and the cash of content that it has and that it's going to continue to produce with those fantastic franchises of it—that's effectively valued at zero. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, in our mind, and it is a speculation because you know we don't know what the future will bring. But in our mind, there is value in disney
0: yeah i completely agree and i also think there's real options i mean ultimately we we think the direct to consumer strategy is the right strategy for disney but if it transpires that disney is just unable to make this business profitable they can always pivot and they could re-license that content back to other you know people that can make it work that do make it profitable, say a netflix now that shouldn't be their. we don't think that's going to be their primary strategy at all but the idea that Disney's incredible brands and franchises don't have any value, It's it seems a bit far-fetched to us. And and that gives us confidence to remain invested at a time where its shares are sort of under attack um, by the, the media and the analytical community.
1: So tie this back into what we're talking about is why monitoring is important to us as investors. What are we looking for when Disney reports its Q3? Yeah, I,
0: I think we just need to see some confirmation that the green shoots that we're starting to see are growing and, and, and panning out i think one of the things we need to continue to see is obviously and this is in everybody's mind is that 2024 profitability target so that's going to be very very telling is disney able to achieve that 2024 you know profitability i think one of the ways that they're going to be able to do that um and we haven't touched on this yet but they this new agreement they've Uh, signed with Charter Communications which is this uh, cable company that they had a very public spat with over the last quarter basically how the old model used to work is Disney charge affiliate fees to its cable providers to carry its TV channels every year historically Disney just used to put up the fees and these cable uh, providers would pass that on to their underlying customers and they did so you know, without resisting in, in any way because of the value that Disney brought to their sort of cable bundles without having access to ESPN and Disney TV they weren't able to sell you know that that was the bigger lure of these these cable sub- subscription packages so what we've had now is every yeah you know, uh, over the last you know 10 15 20 years what you've had is Disney take a larger and larger portion of that of the value created at the expense of the cable providers to the uh, extent where those though, that cable business which is once a profitable business for you know someone like Charter Communications it is profitable but it's no longer as profitable which has seen them sort of pivot and focus on other areas of their business that are more profitable in in uh, Charter's case it's uh, their broadband service so Charter's cable business is out it's now less important to Charter's own profitability so what they're now saying is okay disney you've you've pushed your luck you you know you've been passing on these affiliate fees or you've been putting up these affiliate fees for too long this is no longer a core part of our business and we're no longer prepared to to accept those increases and this has shocked disney because they've never had this happen before and it led to sort of stalemate where disney said okay well if you're not prepared to pay pay us for our you know, our, our TV channels, we're going to remove them from you. And there was a yeah a period of a week where uh, Charter TV subscribers didn't have access to Disney's channels. Now, they were able to eventually resolve it. And one of the sticking points for Charter was, okay, you've launched your, your Disney Plus direct-to-consumer service and channels that you used to, content that used to appear on, you know, Disney Channel, you've gradually been removing that and putting it behind the disney plus payable so only your disney plus subscribers could access this content so you're increasing the affiliate fees at the same time that you're reducing the content available and we just don't think that's fair and and because you're forcing the subscribers to also subscribe to the disney channel. right so you're you're double dipping you're you're making your, your cable subscribers pay once for their cable subscription service and then again, to access Disney Plus to get the content that they used to get as part of their cable subscription service. It it seemed like a very reasonable request to us. Anyway, after, you know, a period of stalemate, they've now agreed that going forward, they will allow Charter's cable subscribers access to Disney Plus included as part of their, you know, cable subscription packages.
1: Now, Charter didn't have all the leverage in that negotiation, did they? Because there was a point, or there will become a point where, cable will be dead they, they acknowledge that as much they're focusing on their broadband it's easy to change broadband providers so disney content as a differentiator for a broadband provider is an important thing still so they couldn't annoy disney too much no they if, if anything yeah
0: broadband is is less sticky than cable tv it's easy to change your broadband provider so you need these bolt-ons to reduce churn but that goes both ways so it's also beneficial for Disney because if you're getting, you know, Disney Plus included as part of your broadband service in in the eyes of the consumer, they're paying for their broadband service and they're getting Disney Plus for free. You are less likely to cancel something if the perception is you're getting it for free, irrespective of whether you consume any content on it or not. It, it's, it's a It's a marriage that should work well if they can recognize the fact that in order to you know benefit both businesses going forward it'd be better for them both to be friends frenemies as opposed to outright you know enemies we're not paying you, you, your fees
1: so several things here to look out for in the next earnings season is that how many other broad brand providers go down this route with disney what the monetization of that route looks like for disney because i think that could be an important part as to how we reach a, a stage of profitability through the dcc strategy right
0: yeah, 100%. I mean, this is the thing that hasn't been really spoken about much. But obviously, whereas before all the charter subscription fees, the affiliate fees that Disney got from charters by charging charter for access to its channels, that fell under your linear TV segment in Disney's accounts. Now, a portion of the fees they're getting from charter are going to be classed as DTC revenues, because a portion of that now goes to Disney+. Plus. So, if Spectrum, which is Charter's cable service, they have fourteen million subscribers. And the idea is to sell the Disney Plus access to Charter for three ninety nine at a wholesale price per month. So you've got forty million subscribers being charged three ninety nine a month. You know you've got you've got an instant uplift in the hundreds of millions of revenue for Disney Plus. That's going to really help get them towards that twenty twenty four profitability target. And no one's really talking about
1: that. Okay very interesting just moving on then so with regards to the monitoring and what we're looking for in disney we want to see how that dtc plans out we also want to see what's going to be happening with the comcast stake. Uh, comcast had this put option and um, that they could uh, force disney to buy them out of their joint venture hulu we suspect hulu is going to be very much part of the dtc strategy within disney how do you think that's going to go down
0: yeah, I, I think you could see them sell some linear TV assets to fund that. They're going to require about 10 billion to buy out the remaining state, so they are going to need to sell, you know, either raise some cash or sell some assets to to fund that. I they they Bob Iger was a bit cryptic, as you'd expect. He's basically said all options are on the table. So, one of the rumors going around is that there's potential that they will offer a swap for ESPN. So, Comcast will take the ESPN uh, brand and the, and the sporting rights and Disney will get the remaining stage the, yeah, in Hulu that it doesn't already own.
1: That would be an interesting move, given that Iger came with ABC, through the you know, Disney's acquisition of ABC, and ABC's kind of affiliation with sports. Um, that, would, that would seem, I think IGA's kind of respectful of the, the ability to monetize sports, particularly through you know, advertising revenue. So that would seem sort of, counterproductive to what is trying to achieve
0: here I agree I, I also think historically if you look at sports it's been a massive draw particularly within a bundle scenario a lot of people pay or get access to to Disney TV it's because it was included alongside their sports bundle um, their sports cable bundle so you got access you're paying for access to ESPN but you're also getting Disney TV thrown in so y- yes as Disney shifts to a d- direct-to-consumer model you're going to have you know devout fans that will absolutely want to pay for Disney Plus content independently. But I think we may end up in a situation where Disney yeah, and they are they're doing something called the Disney Bundle. So you're going to get access. You know they'll if they retain ESPN, they'll be able to bundle ESPN with Disney Plus in a similar manner to what the consumer has been used to in the past via their cable subscription. That is going to help reduce churn at Disney Plus. Helps reduce churn at ESPN. I can see the value in them retaining ESPN.
1: Irrespective of the increase in cost in sports rights,
0: yeah, the cost in sports rights, yeah, the increase in cost in sports rights is an issue because sports rights, are, yeah uneconomical versus media content but there are ways to bring the cost of sports down or well, there's other content you can sort of uh, append your sports rights with which will appear on espn but doesn't cost anywhere near as much as say i don't know nba or nfl rights so you can do and this is something um that espn have been doing for years by the way but it's also something another one of our portfolio companies does really well netflix you can create sports documentaries which are tangential to the sport you know showing formula one races or wimbledon or whatever your chosen sport is those rights are expensive having a backstory like breakpoint uh, for tennis or uh, drive to survive is it for f1 <laughs> those are much much cheaper to produce but they still appeal to sports fans in the same manner as as you
1: know something a little mini flywheel within a flywheel you get the backstories of some of the athletes involved in sport that generates interest in those individuals. Then people are drawn to see how they perform Then they maybe subscribe to the yeah. actual... Well, that, well, that's the thing. You, you, it appeals to the
0: diehard sports fans, but it also appeals to, you know, the, the me's of the world, the people that maybe aren't as interested in the sports side, but subsequently become interested in the sport as a result of the documentary. I mean, you know, Ben, but the one I've been watching on Disney Plus recently is Welcome to Wrexham. I, I'm not a football fan by any stretch, but I've really, really got into watching uh, Wrexham as a result of yeah watching the Ryan Reynolds and the
1: next time you're in Wales, you're popping up to Wrexham.
0: Well, you know, I I, I might wait for them to come to a, a, a away game in London or something. But uh, but yeah, it's it's exactly that. It broadens the appeal.
1: So, what are we looking for? What do you think the market is going to look for in Q3? And do you think Disney is kind of is it bottoming out? What do you think the market is going to like to hear?
0: Yeah, uh, th- yeah. We- We've touched on it, but the, the big thing is is that 2024 target. However, I think anything Iger can do to show that Disney is actively reducing those losses is gonna is gonna help. So yeah, we we've been on this 1.5 billion peak loss. We're now at 500 million. If you know if it comes down every quarter, that's gonna be you know it's gonna please the market. I think if they address these spats they've had with Charter Communications on the call. Cool, and you know, reposition it as an innovative new agreement that's gonna be the future of how they're going to partner with their other distributors. I think the market will react favorably there. And yeah, just giving sort of more clarity on what it is that they plan to do with the remaining linear TV assets or how they plan to enhance the value to the to, you know their end consumer. I, I think that's I, I actually think that's the key point here is that in order to capture more value Disney needs to focus on creating more value. What can Disney do to be of greater value to its consumers that they are willing to part with a greater share of their wallet or Disney end up with a greater share of their wallet? If you just go after the share of the wallet without increasing the value that the customer fa- feels, they're only willing to put up with that for so long. It's it's not a sustainable way to grow a business.
1: So, offering through the bundle Disney Plus, people have to go into Disney Plus okay it's free through the subscription of their cable tv but they still have to go in they still have to log in they still have to create their own account all of a sudden disney's now got that engagement it owns that engagement it's not just going down a pipe for someone to switch on or switch off someone's having to interact with disney
0: right you get you get far better data you know who's watching it how long they're watching it for what trailers they're interested in or what trailers they've been viewing you can recommend shows to them are you know, I was watching Wrexham last night and it finished it and it came up and said, oh, you like watching Wrexham. How about, you know, you, you watch this next? So there's a whole benefit to the direct-to-consumer relationship in terms of the data point and how you can increase engagement with your own
1: consumer. Because it's the with ads model, by engaging with that user and keeping them watching that content, that's great for the advertisers. It is. and And,
0: and it's the fact that Disney knows exactly who is watching the content means they can better target you with ads as well so your the delivery of the ads is going to be better for the advertisers because the conversion rate should should be higher because you are being targeted with relevant ads based on disney's understanding of of you as the customer as opposed to just a generic ad being shown on you know on cable and it's an appealing market segment as well disney plus espn they appeal to younger and The young and the young at heart, right? Yeah, but it's an attractive demographic for advertisers.
1: I think we've taken enough time with our listeners. Uh, Thank you very much, Sam.
0: Thank you, Ben.